1 John 2, going through the month of February, looking at more love. Our theme for the year is more. This month we'll look at more love, the love that God has for us and the love that we are to share and reflect to those around us. Again, I hope as you uh, demonstrate the love of Christ uh, you did last week and this week, making little steps of faith to reach out to people, you have that inside of you, that stirring inside when you do something like that. And that's the Holy Spirit moving in you, and it's always encouraging to do so. But we took out last week, we began looking at the love of God, what that means and how we can apply that and how it ought to change our lives. Now this morning, I have a message entitled, The Love That God Hates. The Love That God Hates. We're going to see here. Now notice in uh, chapter 2, oh, let's see, we're going to jump down. Let me see here. Let's go to verse 15, if you will. We'll go to verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now we'll stop there for a minute and look at that in just a few minutes. But the love that God hates, you know there's a type of love that God hates, and we know that. It's that love of the world, isn't it? It's that love of the world. I believe too many Christians today are defeated in their Christian life. They're saved, they love the Lord, but they're just defeated. They have no joy. They have no uh, real excitement about the things of God. I truly believe is because there's a connection to the world that they've not disconnected from. And that goes for me, especially. We think about this, there's a love that God truly hates. So many people will love if they're loved. But if they're not loved, they will show no love in return. I heard the story of a little uh, Korean boy, and uh, there were some GIs, military men, over there. And he was their house servant, or house uh, butler, you want to call it. And uh, anyways, they treated this little boy very poorly. They made fun of him all the time. They mocked him. They locked him out of the house. They played tricks on him, and this and that. Finally, one day, one of the GIs got saved. And he got right with the Lord, and he came to the little boy, and he said, Boy, I'm sorry for treating you so poorly. I shouldn't do that. We shouldn't treat you that way. And from now on, I'm going to treat you better. He said, Okay, well, in that case, I'll stop spitting in your soup. So, <laughs> you never know, right? You never know. And so we look at this morning, the love that God hates. Now, it's more than one area in our lives. We must understand that. Now, uh, love, we understand, is very, very important. It's spoken of in the Word many, many times. A husband who loves his wife will certainly hate anything that will harm his wife, right? Certainly. The same goes true for the parents. We're in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 this morning. The same goes true for the parents. There's going to be certain things that you hate in order to protect your children, right? Hate. Uh, you think about all that's going on in the world today, the, the vileness. Have you noticed that there is a, a, a systematic attack upon children in this world? The innocent children, the sick, perversion, preyed upon our precious little children. You're certainly going to hate that which is against your children, against your spouse. We know that. Now, when we apply this to the spiritual realm, we're going to find the Bible is very clear about what to do. Yea, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Psalm 97.10. You love the Lord, you're going to hate evil. It's like oil, oil and water. ain't going to mix, right? It's just natural. 
And you think about this. Now, there's certain things that you may hate, and we try and tell the kids don't use that term hate towards their siblings. <laughs> but there are things that the Lord does hate. He says in Romans 12 and verse 9, Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Cleave to that which is good. It's a sad state in a Christian's life, a child of God's life, when they stop abhorring that which is evil and they start to mesh with the world. And you find yourself very uncomfortable. You find yourself out of place. It's just how it goes. And we're going to see this morning about that. Now, when God says love not the world, He means love not the world. That includes all that is in the world. Too much attention is being given today to this world. Men and women are actually worshiping this planet instead of worshiping the creator of the planet. You know what Paul says in Romans, doesn't he? What's he say? They worshiped the creature more than the creator. That's utter foolishness. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's no God. Now, if you read your Bibles, two words there, there and is are in italics, meaning they added it for sentence for the English language, for sentence structure. So if you were to read it in the original, the fool has said in his heart, no God. You know what he's saying? He's saying no. Because God works in every human heart. The Holy Spirit works in every heart. And know what we say? No. And Isaiah puts it this way. The people of Israel said, tell the Holy One to leave us alone, to stay out of our way. You fool. You dunce. He's the one that's created you. He's the one in control. Now we think about this. Oh, I have so much here, but I must hasten to get to my points. We are not trying to, this morning, speak evil of no man. But we must understand that there are things we ought to hate in order to love God. Okay, I've said that enough. Let's look at number one. Why? Well, because of what the world is. Why do we love not the world? Number one, what the world is. Now, the world refers to three different things. We think about this. Now, you study your Bible. The world, the word world, is referenced in three different areas. Okay, one is that, the planet. Acts 17, verse 24, talks about the planet, the ball, and, and well, if you believe in a flat earth, whatever, <laughs> whatever you believe in. Uh, the thing we live on, okay? That's what it's referred to. It's also referred to the population of mankind. Now, John uh, 3.16, John 1, verse 10. What's he say? For God so loved the world. He's not talking about the planet. What's he talking about? Mankind. Right? We know that. There's a third part. But it's the godless system that is led by Satan. John 14.30. I'm going to drop a little uh, truth bomb on you here. 2 Corinthians 4. Do you know your Bibles? You know what it says? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God, lowercase g-o-d, of this world. Are you listening? The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest what? The glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Parenthetical next statement, which is the image of God. God the God of this world, Satan, that's who he's talking about has blinded the mind. So there is a godless system in the, that runs this world. If you just watch the uh, Grammy Awards, you would know that. If you just watch two minutes on your phone, flipping through the reels on Instagram or Facebook, you would know that. There is an evil plot. Now, what is this plan? Now, we're talking about, why do we love not the world? Well, because of what the world is. 
First of all, it's the area of Satan's domain in his rebellion against God. What does the Bible say would happen when God basically booted him out? Where did he go? He came right here. He fell from heaven. We studied this on Wednesday night. Isaiah 14. Oh, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Where did he go? He came right here, didn't he? In the book of Job, very interesting little highlight, little window into what's going on up there. It says they presented themselves before God, and here comes Lucifer, Satan. And God says to Lucifer, what? Where have you been? Do you know he has to give account to God? And then God makes the amazing statement to me, blows my mind. He said, have you considered Job? <laughs> have you considered attacking Job and bothering Job? God's choicest servants go through the trial, go through the fire. But he says, I've been going what? To and fro, up and down throughout the earth. And that's what he's doing. This is his domain today. Now he's organized against Christ, Ephesians chapter 6. There's spiritual wickedness in high places. Now that's talking about the spiritual realm, but it's also talking about high places in this world. Do you wonder why the billionaires of this world are ungodly? We just recently got some of that in the news, didn't we? This guy, multi-billionaire, had a little island somewhere. He had a big mansion on an island out in the middle of nowhere. And guess who flew in and out of there? Not Joe Blow. Who? Presidents, vice presidents, major players, senators, some people a part of the United Kingdom monarchy. All these guys flying in and out of there doing what? Playing poker? No. Perverts, aren't they? Sexual perverts. Preying on little kids and girls. Now you think about it. That is spiritual wickedness in high places. Sick. And you wonder why our government is the way it is. Why? We've shut this book. Try and open this book in the public school tomorrow. You'll be booted out faster than you can say hola and hello. They'll beat you out. When 50 years ago you had to stand and pray before school started. Some of you mentioned that to me. Where have we gone? And Paul warns us 2,000 years ago, and he says, when you shut this book and you close God out of your world and out of your society and out of your home and out of your marriage, everything goes downhill. It doesn't go up. You don't get better. You, you don't, the less and less you come to church, the better you are. <laughs> and that's what Satan wants you to do. Now, notice he's organized against Christ. And he's trying to thwart the plan of God, but praise God, I've read the last book of the Bible, and I hope you have as well, and I find out something. We win. Amen? We win. It's foolish. Utter foolishness that they're trying to come against God. But also, he has his world and this world in wickedness. Now, in wickedness. Now, jump over to chapter 5 there. Chapter 5, notice what he says in verse 19. 1 John 5, verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. You see that? John's talking to believers like you and I today. And we know. There's the knowledge. The key word in the book of 1 John is know. K-N-O-W. Know. Knowledge. Can I know that I'm saved? Yes. Can I know God? Yes. Do I know who I am and what side I'm on? Yes. Now notice that. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Well, that's Satan's domain. He also uses unsaved people to accomplish his goals. Ephesians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but it says what? Ye which are 
were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened together. That word quicken or quick means to make alive. Make alive. That's the living part. You ever cut the quick, get too close when you cut your fingernails? It's a quick. It's a living part of your skin. That's what he's talking about. It's alive. You that were dead hath he quickened. You've made alive. Ephesians 2. But he goes on to talk about how that this world lieth in wickedness, and he uses unsaved, ungodly people to accomplish his goals. Now we pray for those people, and we actively try in our church to share the gospel with people all around us. We hand them a track at the store, at the restaurant, wherever it is. Would you come to our church? Sure. And then I say on the back is some verses on how you can know for sure that you're saved. What are we trying to do? We're trying to get more people into the kingdom. But we know Satan uses unsaved, ungodly people. My friends, it's a bad day for you when you allow Satan to have the upper hand in your life. It's a bad day when a Christian allows Satan to use them as a bad testimony and a bad example. Very sad. Very sad. Now we think about, this is Satan's world. Because of what the world is, we are to not love the world. It is his area of domain, his rebellion against God. It is not, number two, let me say, it is not a natural habitat for the believer. This world is not our natural habitat. You ever been to the zoo? I know you have. We went just recently, took the kids. Boring. No, it was fun. The kids loved it. You like the zoo? <laughs> it's all right. You walk around and it's hot and you're, you're pushing the stroller around. and They're never out. They're always hiding in their thing, you know, and under... We went, first thing we went to, I said, let's go see the lion. We went to the lion. He's not out. And I asked the person, where I said, where's the lion at? Oh, he's sleeping right now. I said, well, what time is he coming out? You know, we got about 30 minutes. Well, sure enough, he came out. Huge. I mean, he's big. I was thinking, you know, he's about waist high on me, and I was trying to compare him. Well, he's standing next to a tree over there. He had to have stood about like this, you know, huge. And then he let out a yawn. He didn't roar, but he let out a yawn, you know, but I thought about, that's not their natural habitat, you know, is it? Those monkeys are in there, they're just sitting there like this. <laughs> they hate it. If they were in their natural habitat, they'd be doing other stuff. And the lion would be hunting and doing other things, not their ha natural habitat. You think about today, the Christian, let me remind you of this very clearly. This is not your home. This is not your natural habitat. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Don't get comfortable here. Don't get used to it here. I heard a guy the other day. Well, when we die, that's it. We'll just bury it in the... What a depressing thought, isn't it? Oh, praise God we're not just buried in the ground. Maybe out here one day. Okay. Praise God. We've got hope. It's called the blessed hope. Now notice this. We, and it's been likened to this by one theologian, we are like a scuba diver in the ocean. It's pretty, it's nice, I have fun. I don't know if you've ever done that before, I've never done it. But it's I bet it's great. But you've got to come up eventually. That's not your natural habitat. Okay? You've got to come up, but don't come up too fast. You, know, you see that one, I don't know what it's called, the bends or whatever. You know? So you think about it, you've got to understand this is not where you are. And so many Christians today, myself included, we get so attached to this world. We get so settled in the world, don't we? We put our stake down in the ground. Better hunker down in the world, not sure what's going to happen. 
Friends, don't forget, you're just passing through. We're called a pilgrim for a reason. It's not our natural habitat. In fact, we're called a citizen of heaven. Uh, Philippians 3 and verse 20 says, For our conversation, that's our lifestyle. That's not when you're talking with somebody. Biblically means your lifestyle, who you are. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. In fact, he goes on to say in one part, he says, you were an alien. You were somebody, what? Not part of this world. We could say uh, someone who's not been born here, but we have been. Our treasure is laid up in heaven. Our life is in heaven, according to Colossians 3 and Galatians 2. Our life's in heaven. We're hid with God. We're awaiting that. We're also knowing and understanding our inheritance is in heaven. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice this part. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. Man, that's some good insurance, isn't it? That's good stuff. I mean, I can't even find my car keys. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and someone always says, where'd you last leave it? You know, you go, if I knew that. Oh, yeah, I can't find I mean, do you ever go to the kitchen and forget what you were going to do? You ever go there? I, the other day, I, walked, I was in here. I was in my office doing something. I was reading a book, and I was studying, and in my mind, I got so, you know, you're just so concentrated. And then I got thirsty all of a sudden. I got up, and I walked down to the hallway, and I stopped and went, what am I doing <laughs> I forgot what I was doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think about that. We've got an inheritance, my friends. Jesus goes on to say in uh, the great Sermon on the Mount there, what's he say? Don't lay up treasures on this earth where moth and rust and thieves break through and steal. You ever had something stolen from you? I mean, you want to catch that guy and just, you know, and God bless them, right? God bless you, brother. After I strangle you, no. I can't stand that when they steal something. They steal it. And it just bothers me so much. He says, that don't lay up stuff on this earth, friends. Folks, you realize we play with paper money? It's paper. And there could come a time very soon when it becomes just paper. <laughs> and I don't know if you got some gold bars at home under the mattress or something, but you might want to start doing that. It's paper money, isn't it? And if our lovely president wants to decide a few things, he can't. But you think about, again, the spiritual wickedness in high places. Our inheritance is in heaven. I pray to God that you're not locked into this earth. You're not storing up things in this earth. You're storing them up in heaven. And my friends, when you share the gospel with somebody, when you invite somebody to church, when you get alone and pray, when you're seeking God and wanting to know what, you, what He wants you to do, that's laying up treasure in heaven. When you pray in earnest for your tr children, when you stay up late praying because you feel like something's wrong with your adult children and you say, oh God, I've got to pray for them. Don't stop. What are you doing? Laying up treasure. When you give to this church and you say, I want to help if I can, you're laying up treasure. When you do what you can, when you show up early to this church just to come and help us and do something and say, hey, Brother Tim, it's something I can do to help. What are you doing? You're laying up treasure in heaven. I'm saying today you work for God. God does not overlook that. God does not forget that. I must hasten here. Notice, okay, secondly, because of what the world does, what the world does, we think about not only what the world is, it's Satan's domain, but what it does. It 
replaces our love for our Heavenly Father. It replaces our love. Now again, back in chapter 2 and verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. Again, notice this with me. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice what it does. It replaces our love. We stop enjoying God's love. We secondly stop doing God's will, verse 17. And then we ultimately become worldly. Worldliness is more of an attitude than an activity. It's anything, it is anything with God left out. We leave Him out. So we must be careful. There's a church in the book of Revelation that's spoken of. And they're a good church. They're a big church. They're a wealthy church. But where's Jesus Christ? He's on the outside, knocking. Can I come in? <laughs> oh, Lord, not now. We're worshiping you. Not right now. We're having a celebration of you. We're loving you, Lord, but stay outside, please. You think about that today. What does the world do to us? Well, it takes away our love for the Father. Secondly, it causes us to satisfy natural desires in forbidden ways. We've studied this already. But notice what he says. Verse 16, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world, have you noticed the world knows exactly what buttons to push? They know what you like, and they know what to put in front of you. They know what to do. It causes us to satisfy natural desires. Okay, here's a natural. Hunger, thirst, weariness. I'll be careful what I say. Hunger, thirst, weariness, sex. These are natural desires. What does the world do? Replaces it with gluttony, drunkenness, laziness, and fornication. Isn't that what it does? Lust of the flesh. You say, I can't break out of that. I'm addicted to something of that nature. Yes, you can. You, the Bible says you have the victory. Present tense, you already have the victory. The problem is you must give yourself to Christ. The problem that you, that you don't do is not giving yourself to Christ. You must give yourself to Him, and the Bible says submit your will to His. It will be very difficult, be very painful, but you must submit yourself to Him. And when that urge comes and that, that pressure comes, that addiction comes, what do you do? You give it to Christ. You say, Lord, here. I want to do it your way. It's called the crucified life. Easy to say, hard to do, I know. But the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of the eyes. It's the desire to see. We find this throughout Scripture. Satan came and he put that fruit in front of Eve and did what? And it says when she saw, S-A-W, saw. She didn't touch it. She didn't taste it. She saw it, right? Isn't that what the world does? Isn't that what the world does? The average young man today by the age of 13, has already seen things that would make most of us blush, right? And we think about that, the seeing, the seeing. I'm talking about today that love, the love that God hates, the pride of life. There's a natural desire to be exalted. The world short circuits God's time because in 1 Peter 5, 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He shall exalt you in due time. Now that phrase, due time, is repeated throughout the New Testament. And it means God's timing. In God's time, in due time, God sent forth a virgin, a son born of a virgin, in his timing. You know what they said in that intermediary period, that 400 plus years in between? What do they say constantly? Where's the Lord? Where's the Messiah? 
The Lord promised us the Messiah, but he's not shown up yet. God says in due time, <laughs> due time. And Peter goes on to say in the last days, people will mock and make fun of and say, oh, you Christians are still waiting some kind of return of Jesus Christ. It's never happened. It's never going to happen. And he says, just hang on. Just hang on. Okay, so we know that. It's what the world does to us. It replaces our love. It replaces the natural desires with things that are sinful. It slowly takes over. Let me say thirdly, because of the, what the Christian is. So why not love the world? Well, we must look at what we are. Okay, now verse 12. Notice verse 12 of chapter 2. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for, the, your na for uh, His name's sake. Now again, let's be careful. We've studied this before in 1 John. He's a member of God's family. We are a member of God's family. He refers to these believers. He's not talking to little children. You understand that. He's talking to the believers, the newer Christians. Okay? He says, understand and know this, that you are a member of God's family. If you grew up without a family, you grew up without a mother or father, or maybe you grew up with just a mother or just a father, or you were adopted or something like that, I want to encourage you to remember this. You are a member of God's family, and that's all that matters. We have people in our church say, I never grew up with a family, but now that I'm coming here, you're my family. You don't have to be blood, right? We're part of the family of God. And that's what he's saying. Because of what the Christian is. So you carry the name of the Lord. Uh, he's growing in the Lord. He stays away from the world. Now, fathers mentioned are the mature believers. They have an intimate personal knowledge of God. They have no desire for the substitute pleasures of the world. The young men mentioned are the conquerors. They've not fully matured, but they have overcome Satan by the word of God. And the little children are the immature ones who have not grown up yet in Christ, who still have need of good leadership from mature believers. Did you catch all that? I know that was a lot. You ever wondered what he meant by that? That's what he means. Okay, so what the Christian is? I don't want to love the world. Why? Because I carry the name of Christ. I'm not part of it. And by the way, you ever get in a situation where you feel extremely awkward and uncomfortable? Good. Okay, good. You go to a place and everyone's carousing and doing all these things and all this drinking and smoking and all the, all the things that they do and you feel super uncomfortable? Good. Okay, good. That's a sign of something. You have the Holy Spirit inside. Okay? You want to be different. The Bible goes on to say that we're peculiar. doesn't mean weird and strange like that kid in school. It means what? You're different. You're special. Now that word we can't use today. You're special. You're special. And they did put me on the short bus, by the way, too. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> they said, oh, the short bus comes by your house, so we're just going to have you ride the short bus to school. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, yeah, I got to school and all my buddies. Ah, <laughs> you know. Anyways, you can tell now. Yeah, okay, you know. Because of the Christian. Okay, let me, I'll say the last point here. Thank you for listening so well. Because of where the world is going. Verse 17. The world is getting better and better. Therefore, love Mother Earth. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, wrong version again. What's 17 say? What's it say? You see your Bible there? The world passeth away. The lust thereof. Lust is temporary. Don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. Don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. Isn't that good? 
I heard that years ago. That helped me so much. That's what the world does. You want it now? Yeah, I do. Does that feel good? Yeah, it does. Go ahead and have it. You didn't tell me I lost my marriage because of that. You didn't tell me I'll be in financial ruin because of it. Yeah, sorry about that. It's all up front. It's all up front. Notice that. Where the world is going. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do you know the will of God for your life today? I talk to more Christians, more people that claim to know Christ but don't know the will of God. They're confused. Well, I don't know. Do you know what God's will is for your life? I have no idea. You can know the will of God. You ask the Lord, Lord, what is your will? You follow the word. The word will guide you and show you. Where the world is going, the world is passing away. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 12 talks about this, and we see it. Now, we have two choices here. Now, let's close out with this. We can live for this world, or we can live for God. And the old adage goes, only two choices on the shelf. It's pleasing God or pleasing self. You realize every choice you make in life, it's pleasing myself or pleasing Him. Every choice. I want to please Him. Okay. We can pursue its treasures through the lust of the flesh. We can live for God. We can pursue God's will. Total surrender to Christ. Total surrender. We can pursue God's will. And if we do, we could lose everything. 2 Peter 1, verse 10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. You shall never fall. You think about this, we can do what God's asked us to do. Famous missionary, name of Jim Elliott, you probably heard of him. But he went to South America, and as he was ministering to those natives down there, at a very young age, still in his 20s, they murdered him and his other friend missionaries. But before he died, he wrote a very famous quote, and he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool. To give what he can't keep, world, materialism, to gain what he can't lose. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And we know that. We are in the world. We know that it's according to God's plan. But we must not let the world get into us. The book of Exodus is a great depiction of God taking His people out of the world. You know what the next book, Leviticus, is? Getting the world out of God's people. You see, all these, all these rules and commands and all these things? Yeah, why? because of His love for the people. Because of God's love for His people. And that little sheep, or that little lamb, may buck at the fence and try and constantly get out of the fence because they've never seen a coyote before in their lives. But that old farmer, that shepherd, He's seen one and he knows what they are. And he knows what he, that coyote or wolf will do to that sheep. And people think that God's commands and boundaries are all to stifle us and keep us locked up in this little box and not let us out, not let us have any fun. Wrong. A Christian who understands God's boundaries in their lives has more freedom than anyone else on planet Earth. You have more freedom. Isn't that true? You older folks know that. You have more freedom. You're inside of God's love. He protects you. We're in the world. The great analogy of the boat, and I'll close. The boat is happiest on the water. 
You know what BOAT stands for? B-O-A-T? Break out another thousand. <laughs> Anyone ever owned a boat in here? Several of you have. Break out another thousand. That's what the mechanic says. It's a big hole in the water you pour money into. <laughs> the boat. It's happiest on the water. What happens though when the water gets in the boat? It's going down quick. You don't want that. You don't want that. A Christian's supposed to be in the world. We have to be in the world. Okay? God's not taking us home yet. You're still breathing. I hope some of you are. You're still awake. You're still here. You woke up this morning. God gave you another chance to live. You have to be in the world, but we don't love the world. As soon as that world gets into us, we're a ruined Christian. We're a ruined person. Oh, my friends, there's repentance and grace with God, and He will forgive you, and I need it every day. But we, may we strive to love the Father, love Him who loves us first. We love Him because He loves us first. Turn to chapter 4 and we'll close. Chapter 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. Isn't that good? Easy verse to memorize. I'd encourage you to memorize it. We love Him because He first loved us. It's not when I got myself cleaned up. It was not when I got everything right. It's not when I stopped observing that stuff I shouldn't and playing around with those girls that, like I should and messing with those drugs and alcohol. It wasn't when I cleaned all myself up. Man, Lord, now I'm ready to go. No, it was when I was in that state. But God commendeth His love toward us. That means demonstrated. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing, isn't it? While you were a sinner, He died for you. And all the wrath of Almighty God fell upon and poured out upon His dear Son, Jesus Christ, as He hung on that cross, and the world went black, went dark. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the first time in all of eternity, the Father and the Son were separated for that brief moment. As all the wrath poured out upon His Son, Jesus Christ. My friends, He did that for you, He did that for me. You've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Today would be the best day of your life to do that. I'd love to take the Bible after our service here in just a couple minutes and show you how to be saved. Do you know for sure if you were to go out today or this week, heaven forbid, but this would be the last week on this earth for you, do you know where you would go? You say, Brother Tim, I don't know that. I've never really sat down and thought about that. I talked to an elderly man a while back. He said, I've never thought about that. I said, you might want to start thinking about that. Isn't that amazing? People never think about it, do they? Until they call Brother Tim in the hospital. You got to get over here now. Quickly, hurry, get over here. We don't know how long they got. People don't think, don't wait till that time. Make sure of it. Make sure of it. Got to share the gospel with a wonderful young boy. You know, Nico. He sits over here. I got to share the gospel with him. Made sure of his salvation. He said, I, yes, Pastor Tim, I know I'm saved. I said, you sure you know? I know. I said, okay. <laughs> Amen. If you never accepted him, today would be a great day. Thank you for listening today and being in church. Again, don't forget, God will bless you for being in church and making an effort to put him number one in your life. Amen? You know that. All right. And Father, we thank you for this morning and for these people that have been so faithful. I pray that you'd guide us and help us. As we examine this, oh, what a convicting message to me. I pray you'd help me first and foremost. Help us, Lord, to put you first. Our love for the world can sometimes be a little embarrassing. 
because it trumps our love for you. Would you help me help us as a church? We love you and we thank you, Lord, for loving us first. Without you, no telling where we would be today, how grateful we are. We thank you in Jesus' name.